And welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. This is the program where we talk about the news of the week, the events of our often bizarre lives, and where we provide you with a three-hour oasis of rationality in the desert of insanity, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off tonight. It's not because if you were with us last week during hour number two, things got rather heated I actually told her to shut up in anger, although I did apologize uh, for that and properly. So you can check out that uh, interplay as well as a whole lot of other thing, interesting things that happened during last week's program, including a couple of very good predictions on both of our parts at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com, where you can check out the podcast via iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, interestingly, Leah is not here because... She's here in California. (laughs) Normally, she does the program from Alabama. I do it from Southern California. Uh, And she's actually uh, far closer to me right now than she ever is when we do the show. But she came out here to deep Southern California, to the San Diego area. You know, San Diego. Go f*** yourself, San Diego. And uh, she came out here to see her beloved California Chrome, the horse that almost won the Triple Crown a couple of years ago. A race to victory, and I think she also may have uh, wagered a few dollars successfully on a couple of other uh, horse races while out here, but uh, logistically it was not possible for her to get to where I do the show and still be able to get back to Alabama to work next week, so we'll be looking forward to Leah Brandon's return to the program uh, next week. Uh, this week, uh, interestingly, speaking of vacations, because Leah definitely is on vacation uh, this week, I also was on vacation. Uh, This was a a week where my wife and my four-year-old daughter, Grace, and I all went across the country from Southern California to uh, visit my father and his wife in uh, Massachusetts, just south of Boston, although we made a side trip to Maine. And, you know, because I do the Sunday night show, we had to leave early Monday morning and then return yesterday, which really is just not enough time for there to be a cross-country, quote-unquote, vacation. Now, I'm someone who, I'm a believer that if the year was shorter than 365 days, I don't know, maybe make like 200-day years, families would never go on vacation because we would remember how much aggravation they are in general and how little pleasure they usually end up providing and how, how often they end up in opportunities for dysfunction to rear its ugly head and all sorts of consternation and and, uh, conflict and all sorts of other things that happen uh, within families, especially when you have young children. It's it's a lot like if we voted on April 16th every year, which I think would be a fantastic idea. If we voted on April 16th every year, the day after tax day, I I think Democrats would have an exceedingly difficult time ever getting reelected. It's just that we wait until November and everyone forgets, much like they do with the family vacation. They forget about the tax bill that they paid and uh, they're on to other things in our short attention span universe. But this vacation, to me, actually kind of proved 
the futility of long-distance vacations because nothing went wrong. I mean, there's a zillion things that can go wrong, especially when you got a young kid. You got to drive all the way to the airport. You got to get parked. You got to make your flight. Your flight has to be on time. We, we didn't even have a, a, another stop. This was a nonstop flight from Los Angeles to Boston. Everything goes, has to go well with the flight. You got to get your rental car. Everything has to go well there to get the hotel. I mean, you know the drill. Just everything that could possibly go wrong has an opportunity to do so. We had nothing go wrong. Nothing. And yet, I don't think the trip was really worth it. It was certainly not worth the aggravation on my end. Now, of course, I'm not the target audience anymore for any kind of trip. The dad never is. It's usually what the mom wants and what the kid wants. The dad, what he wants really doesn't matter very much. But as I think about all the aggravation and the expense, but mostly the, just the aggravation, the tension, and, and all of the potential perils that come with a cross-country trip in, sh- in a short time frame with a four-year-old kid and a wife, I think, my God, what would possibly make it worth it? I mean, if my wife, not that this would ever happen, if my wife had said, you know what? On the other end of the trip, with my total approval, you can have sex with a supermodel. I don't think the trip would have been worth it. <laughs> I don't think I would have bothered. Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate the thought. Maybe some other time. Golf at Augusta National? Okay. Depends on how I'm playing at the time. Although, Augusta National is closed this time of year in the summertime. So, it's really hard for me to even literally imagine what would be worth it. And yet, my wife and kid thinks it was a good trip. And I'm like, really? All the stuff we had to put up with for not a whole lot of bang and not a whole lot of time and a lot of different travel to a lot of different places. But hey, to me, I, I, I believe that vacations really only have one true purpose. And that is to give people something to look forward to, I guess, and two, if you count these as two different things, and something to break up the monotony of everyday life. Because almost invariably, the fantasy of what's going to happen on vacation, or even just the hope that something might happen that's fun or interesting on vacation, is far, far more powerful than the vacation itself. So the planning of it, the anticipation of it, all of that, I think, actually has more value than the vacation itself. Because if you didn't have it, the alternative would be sticking around at home, uh, my wife's a school teacher, so she's off for basically two and a half months, and we would be doing the same thing day after day after day, which, by the way, isn't all that bad. See, that's the part of I'm thinking. We left Southern California, where we have one of the best climates in the world, and we can do pretty much anything we want to do this. Why? Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see Dad, but, you know, that's a whole other story. So that was what I, where I was spending most of this week. Uh, however, I was able to keep track of the news. And so um, I will be uh, having a lot to say about a lot of different things that occurred this week. But because Leah is not here, we're going to do things a little bit differently on this edition of the John and Leah Show. We've done this a couple of times before. This is a feature that I did rather infamously when I hosted a show both in Louisville, Kentucky at WHAS, where we're heard currently. And in Los Angeles, where Lee and I did a program on KFI in L.A. several years ago, called Ask John Anything. And the, the origins of this are, are interesting. Maybe I'll get into that at some point in the program. But 
In addition to the news of the week, I'll give you the opportunity to ask me any question you want. Not like a trivia question or an imponderable. No, that's not what this is about. This is anything you're curious about on virtually any news topic or about me or the show or whatever. If I find it interesting, I'll be happy to answer the question. And I, I plan to do this mostly in hour number three, but if I got a good question, I, I'll answer it uh, during the first two hours of the show. So you have the opportunity to ask me literally anything you want, and you can do it via my Twitter feed, my Facebook, which is Talk to Zig, or you can email me at Talk to Zig. That's all letters Talk, T A L K T O Z I G, Talk to Zig at AOL.com. That's Talk to Zig at AOL.com. And I'll get to as many of those questions for Ask John Anything as possible. But when we come back, We'll uh, talk about a rather busy news week on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off on vacation. She'll be back next week because Leah is off. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. Every once in a while, we do something called Ask John Anything, which is pretty self-explanatory. You can ask me anything you want other than trivia or imponderables. You can do so via my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, or my email, which is talktozig at AOL.com. I intend to focus most of the Ask John Anything questions in hour number three, but intermittently I'll, I'll answer and ask John Anything question in the first two hours as I review the news of the week. And I'll start off with uh, one from Donna via my Facebook page who asks a question I'm sure most people are more interested in than almost anything I might have to offer, which is, when is your daughter Grace returning to the program? <laughs> Grace has been on the show a couple of times, once for a Christmas preview last year and once this year for her fourth birthday. For those who have never heard Grace, uh, she, she actually is pretty, um, I, I would say has pretty good insight into the political process. And it's not because we've done, you know, a really particularly good job of brainwashing her, although I'm sure that's part of it. For instance, when it comes to Donald Trump, uh, Grace asked what I think is the, the existential question of this entire John and Leah radio show about Donald Trump asking, Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? That's something we still don't know, Grace. We we still don't know whether Trump's a good guy or a bad guy, although she seems to have a pretty good handle on Hillary, who she's convinced is going to go after everything she owns. She wants to steal all my stuff. Including her Chuck E. Cheese coins. Uh, but as far as when Grace will be back, it's interesting that Donna asked that question because Grace asked me that question during our vacation in um, in New England uh, this particular week. Uh, she was very excited to return, and so I told her that uh, we would figure out a time to do that. But, you know, you can't overuse her. I mean, she... she uh... <laughs> well, she doesn't have all that much to say. I think it would get a little bit old real fast. But you'll, you'll hear again from uh, Grace Sigler in short order, I'm sure, especially if she has anything to do with it because she, uh, she she loves mimicking now the John and Leela show as she refers to it. She has a little microphone and she uh, says, welcome to the John and Leela show. Although probably uh, says it in a more entertaining fashion than I just did. 
All right, now let's turn to the, the news of the week, and we'll start with our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016. There were a lot of interesting things that happened. One of the themes this week was, boy, the news media sure is against Donald Trump and in the tank for Hillary Clinton. Really. This was, uh, this was shocking. This was shocking to some people. I still see, even today, some conservative columnists writing, wow, this is just outrageous how much media bias there is against Donald Trump. Well, folks, this was incredibly predictable. This is something that I warned about time and time again when Donald Trump became a threat to win the nomination and was a broken record regarding once it became clear uh, earlier this year that he was going to win the nomination, that he would get slaughtered by the news media once the general election began. Frankly, I think it's, it started a little bit later than I had anticipated, but this was obviously going to happen always. And by the way, a lot of it is warranted. And as someone who has spent an awful lot of their life uh, professionally trying to articulate and illustrate and illuminate the obvious liberal bias in the vast majority of the mainstream news media to fight that war, having made a couple different major documentaries about it, spent a lot of my time in talk radio and as a columnist discussing it, trying to combat what is clearly the most, the, the, the biggest hurdle that Republicans face when it comes to ever winning the presidency again, other than maybe demographics. For someone like me, it, it's really painful. It's literally painful to see people crying and whining about media bias on behalf of Donald Trump. First of all, I don't believe that Donald Trump is a conservative. So the bias against Trump is not because of his conservatism. I mean, it might be because of a couple of allegedly conservative policies that I'm not even sure Trump believes in, especially with regard to immigration. It appears as if he's already backing away from much of his immigration plan, which caught fire in the primaries. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But the reality is that this bias is not about him being a conservative. It's about him being unqualified and and being a buffoon and being somebody who probably shouldn't be president of the United States. And, and someone who we wouldn't even be considering possibly being president of the United States if the opponent wasn't the dreadful, horrible, corrupt, lying Hillary Clinton. That's the only thing keeping Donald Trump remotely in this race. So the idea that the news media is biased against Donald Trump, I'm sorry. Yeah, is it far worse than Hillary? Absolutely. And by the way, a perfect example of that is the, the coverage or lack thereof of the flooding in Louisiana. Remember what they did to George W. Bush after Katrina? They cut his entire presidency off at the knees, if not the balls. Now all of a sudden we have massive flooding in Louisiana and some places worse than Katrina. Obama doesn't seem to care. Hillary doesn't seem to care. Trump goes at least goes down and makes a visit and tries to help out in whatever way he can. And the coverage is almost non-existent. So there, I'll give you, that's bias. That's a Democrat-Republican bias. But by and large, when it comes to the coverage of Donald Trump, while it's more intense than it would be if he had a D next to his name, a lot of it hasn't been inaccurate. Now, there was a major shakeup in the Trump campaign this week, which we'll discuss a whole lot more when we come back on the John and Leah Show.
This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off this week. We're doing things a little bit differently. Adding in, sprinkling in, if you will, your questions for Ask John Anything via my Twitter, Facebook, and email. Email is talktozig at AOL.com. Getting some good questions there, which I hope to get to between now and the end of the program. But uh, currently, we're going through our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016. I've already addressed this growing notion that, boy, Trump is just getting the bad end of the deal when it comes to media bias. And I'm sorry, uh, as a warrior of media bias, a guy who made a film called Media Malpractice, How Obama Got Elected and Palin Was Targeted, about the 2008 election, it's really, really hard for me to, uh, to see where the, the claims of bias have anything to do with regard to conservatism or maybe being a Republican because he is going up against Hillary. I mean, there's no doubt that Hillary is getting a free pass in comparison to Donald Trump. But I would, I would ask the question, so tell me what subject the media is obsessing over regarding Donald Trump where they are both inaccurate and irrelevant. I mean, it's one thing to be accurate. You could certainly make more of a subject than it deserves to be. But I've seen a couple, and I've pointed them out. I am I am very objective and very fair to Donald Trump. I, I pointed out in a column and on this program that when they tried to claim that he kicked a baby out of one of his speeches, that that, that was just... It was just flat out ridiculous. And false and wrong. It was actually funny and endearing what Trump did. So that was an example. And there's, from time to time, the media definitely goes overboard when it comes to their attacks on Trump because it's obvious the vast majority of them want Hillary to win and definitely want Trump to lose. I think they want Trump to lose more than they want Hillary to win, even though it would actually be good for them economically. I mean, the ratings of a Trump presidency would be fantastic for them. But they still have at least somewhat, or at least they like to pretend that they still have somewhat of a soul. So, And their, their knee-jerk reaction is always to defend the Democrat. Uh, but as I said many, many times, I just don't even see Donald Trump as a Republican. I see this race as two different Democrats with different backgrounds. You know, they have different, a lot more weaknesses than strengths. Uh, and frankly, I'm not 100% sure which one I would choose if I had a gun to my head. And I'm not going to vote for either of them unless something dramatic happens. Certainly not going to vote for Hillary. I would I would have loved at the beginning of this to vote for Donald Trump. I've tried very hard to figure out a way to, to justify it, but I can't. A lot of other people have done intellectual gymnastics trying. I mean, Hugh Hewitt, oh my goodness. <laughs> the, the bunch of malarkey he's come up with, with uh, these intellectual exercises, these games that he likes to play these pretend fairy tale games where uh, he can try to justify a fantasy Trump somehow being worthy of your vote. It's just, it's pathetic. Uh, But I digress. So the point here is that while Trump's getting the brunt of the media coverage, 
A lot of it's deserved. Most of it's accurate. And it's all very relevant because it deals with whether or not he is qualified to be president. I have said time and time again, that is the issue. That is why Hillary is winning. And that's why, barring a catastrophe, she will win. Because polling continually says time and time again that more people believe she is qualified for the job than believe that Trump is qualified for the job. And it's not close. There was a poll out today that said 50% of the American people have already decided they will not vote for Trump under any circumstances. Now, interestingly, 45% said the same thing about Hillary. So that's why this thing is still relatively close. But the margin that Hillary has is real, it's significant, and it's sturdy. Something dramatic would, really dramatic, would have to happen to change the ballgame. And I also think Hillary still has more cards to play between now and Election Day than Donald Trump does. But let's go back to what happened this week. So last Sunday night, the New York Times hit with a story about then-Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort that was really freaky-deaky. I mean, what a bizarre story this was. And apparently it must have been accurate because Paul Manafort is no longer the Trump campaign manager. But by but basically what the story was, was that Manafort had been paid over $12 million in off-the-books cash by a pro-Russian Ukrainian presidential candidate that Manafort had worked for. And I thought at the time, in fact, I wrote a column for Mediate about this where I was dead wrong, dead wrong. That doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And it happened here where I predicted that Manafort would survive this revelation, not because it if it not because it wasn't lethal in a rational world. It was an absolutely lethal allegation coming out of the New York times, which the rest of the news media bows to as if it's in the New York times, it must be true. And then we're allowed to report it, especially in a presidential campaign, especially when it's about the Republican candidate. So in a rational, normal world, it would have been lethal to Paul Manafort, but I thought Trump was just going to ignore it. That, that, you know, he'd already gotten rid of one campaign manager He couldn't afford to get rid of two in short order. And so I thought, they're just going to ignore this. Manafort will survive, and they'll they'll take their their bruising for a couple days on this story and just move on because they're they're trying to pretend that reality doesn't exist on so many different levels. And frankly, Trump's not going to lose any votes because of something in the New York Times. His voters are not reading... The New York Times. I, I know that's difficult to believe. I love the poorly educated. But the New York Times has very little of any influence over the Trump base vote. And I mean little. Uh, but the reality is that there were a couple other revelations that occurred after that New York Times story, which I didn't know about when I wrote the Mediate column because they hadn't happened yet, which made the Manafort story even worse, even more scandalous and made it more obvious that he needed to go. Well, effectively, he went on Wednesday because there was the rather shocking announcement that there was a new CEO of the Trump campaign and a new campaign manager. Now, the campaign manager, I don't really see as uh, Kellyanne Conway is her name. She's a pollster. And, you know, frankly... (laughs) It's pretty bizarre to me that Mr. Tell it like it is. I don't care about the polls. I don't even need to hire a pollster at one point. 
has a pollster now as his campaign manager, but I don't think she's really the campaign manager. Now, I don't, I think I've met her once or twice. I don't know her at all. I just know what her reputation is. And frankly, within conservative circles, she is basically on the D list. I mean, if you consider this, which in many ways it is, you know, kind of like the Hollywood celebrity list. And Kathy Griffin has made a career about, you know, pretending that she's on the D list. That's where Kellyanne Conway is. She's a D list conservative. At, at best, she's on the C list when it comes to guests that are invited on television shows. But I guess Trump must have seen her enough and uh, must have liked her. And now, technically, she's the campaign manager. But I don't think she has any real power at all. I cannot see Trump respecting her, mainly because she's not a big enough celebrity. She doesn't have anything in her background that would command Trump's respect. And at the same time that he announced Conway as campaign manager, he announced Steve Bannon as CEO. Now, this was the real shocker. And I have a history with Steve Bannon. I have a history with Breitbart News, which I've discussed numerous times. Andrew Breitbart, who was the founder of Breitbart News, is no longer with us after having died suddenly in 2011, was at one time a very, very good friend of mine. He and I had a very unfortunate falling out just before his, not just before, but shortly before uh, his death, which indirectly Steve Bannon helped facilitate. Now, Steve Bannon is the guy who took over for Andrew Breitbart as the head of Breitbart News, which I have mocked and many other people have mocked roundly and correctly as being completely and totally in the tank for Donald Trump during the whole primaries. And this was a stunner for a number of reasons. First of all, Bannon has never run any sort of political campaign ever. And talk about D I mean, he was not even on the D list, I would say, back in 2009, which is when I met him and had dinner with him. He had done a, a documentary on the financial world, which was very well received. But he had made his money, which he apparently made a lot of, in the financial world, but was not known in political circles particularly well. I happen to believe that he used me for intel on Sarah Palin, because at the time I had just done a documentary film starring Sarah Palin and was seen as her biggest media defender and was seen either rightly or wrongly, I still don't know the right answer to this, as being in, in her inner circle, a very small inner circle uh, of advisors and supporters after she had resigned from the governorship of Alaska. And, you know, I naively, because one of the things that, that ended my friendship with Andrew Breitbart was that I thought we were on the same team in a war. I thought we were in the same foxhole together when, in fact, Andrew was keeping an eye on me because he saw me as a brand competitor. This was stunning to me. See, people think that the conservative cause, if you're on the same side, that people want to help each other. No, no, no. You're the competition. You might get called instead of somebody else for a spot on Fox News Channel which is what I think Andrew Breitbart was concerned about, which really slayed me. I was really quite upset when I realized that that was the case. And that's what ended my friendship with Andrew Breitbart, along with a bunch of other things that came out of that realization. 
But I naively, when I met with Steve Bannon, thought the same thing. Oh, we're on the same side here. He's interested in, in Sarah Palin and he just does documentaries and blah, blah, blah. Well, it's very clear to me in retrospect that he used that intel uh, against me. And uh, he ended up doing a documentary that was intended clearly as a precursor to a Sarah Palin 2012 presidential run a presidential run which I was vehemently against because I knew she was not ready for it, and I had advised her strongly against it, and I didn't think she was serious about it. I thought that she was using the media and her supporters as basically a big presidential tease, and that's what ended my relationship with Sarah Palin. That's why I came out with a Daily Caller expose called The Sarah Palin I Know because I was trying to make sure that she didn't cause more problems than she already was going to in the 2012 election. And I was, I was right about that. That was clearly her intent. She wanted Mitt Romney to lose. And she got her wish, although I don't think she had much to do with it, but she did nothing to help Mitt Romney. So Bannon is now the CEO of, of the Trump campaign. And I have some more thoughts on this and some more, more experience what this means with regard to Breitbart News' coverage of the primaries, all that and more, coming up next on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off this week. She'll be back next. Because she's off, we're adding an extra feature to the program tonight. You can ask John anything via Twitter, Facebook, or my email, talk to ziggadaywell.com. Here's a question via email that is particularly appropriate given the current subject matter on the show. As things stand right now, would you rather have Sarah Palin or Donald Trump be the Republican nominee? That's a really good question because I think the events of this week have proven that in some ways Donald Trump is basically Sarah Palin 3.0. And I mean that not just figuratively, I mean almost literally. Because we now know that Steve Bannon, who was trying to get Sarah Palin to run in 2012, is now the CEO of the Trump campaign. Obviously, Sarah Palin had endorsed very enthusiastically, although spastically, uh, Donald Trump very early on, although he seemingly has jettisoned her. She wasn't at the convention. It's rather odd that there is this now incredibly close relationship between Steve Bannon of Breitbart News, which is very close to Sarah Palin, because for reasons that I could do a whole show about, which also deal, this is all so incestuous. And I, and we often joke that on this program, there's six degrees of John Ziegler. Well, in this particular case, it's about two or three degrees of John Ziegler at every single level, because Andrew Breitbart only ingratiated himself towards Sarah Palin well after she had resigned from the governor of Alaska. And he thought that he could use her. Back when I was defending Sarah Palin, when she was still governor of Alaska, I was making the movie Media Malpractice. We, I showed a, a video to Andrew Breitbart and a bunch of other Hollywood conservatives at a home in Malibu, Malibu. 
It was the best interview Sarah Palin's ever done by far, and Andrew Breitbart told the entire group that she was an idiot, that he would never vote for her for anything, for any political position. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden he's her best friend uh, down the road when the Tea Party movement starts and he feels like he can use her to his benefit. Well, Steve Bannon, I think, did the same. Donald Trump did the same. And it appears as if she's now at least somewhat on the outside because we're not seeing her at any events with Donald Trump. My the, the first time I ever met Sarah Palin when I interviewed her at her home after the 2008 election in January of 2009, an interview you can check out, most of it on YouTube, uh, I, I advised her. I was, I was not an advisor at the time. But I said to her, you know, look, there, there is no way anyone's going to beat Barack Obama in 2012. The media will not let that happen. That turned out to be accurate. And the media loves a comeback story. So what you ought to do is you ought to go away from the national news media after this, you know, after you set the record straight about what really happened in the 2008 election. Keep your head down. Be a good governor of Alaska. Get reelected and then run against whoever they put up in 2016 because no one thought Hillary would still be alive, at least politically, by 2016. And the Democrats were going to have a huge void because the Obama son was so large, it was going to block out, the, block out anybody else from, from getting any daylight and getting any oxygen and becoming a celebrity or a star necessary to run for president. So I thought 2016 was the year. And it was clear Sarah Palin didn't like that. She And it was obvious in retrospect that she was already thinking about getting the hell out of Alaska and taking advantage of this celebrity and making sure she stayed famous and got rich from all this to take care of her family. Part of which I didn't have a problem with, but my big problem was that she was pretending to run for president when there was never any chance of that actually happening. And I thought, thought uh, creating a problem uh, for the Republican Party in 2012, much like the problem that I immediately saw transpiring once Donald Trump got into the 2016 race. Now, I did not think he was going to be the nominee at first. By November of last year, I changed my tune because it was obvious that the conservative media was all in and that these poll numbers were for real and that he was a very, very grave threat to win the nomination and then lose to Hillary, which looks like what's going to happen. To answer the question more directly, it depends on which Sarah Palin you're talking about. The Sarah Palin that I told to stay stay governor of Alaska and get reelected and go away and keep your head down and then come back uh, eight years later or nine or seven years later and have the media comeback story, which they would have loved. Yeah. Hell yeah. I would take that Sarah Palin over Donald Trump in a heartbeat. The Sarah Palin of today, I actually think would have a much less chance of beating Hillary Clinton uh, than even this particular version of Donald Trump, because I think that uh, Sarah Palin has become a complete joke in the minds of most people, and she's not even as good on television uh, anymore, for whatever reason, uh, as Donald Trump is. And I think that uh, Trump, because of his persona, because of the perception that he's this huge multimillionaire uh, or billionaire in his mind, and has created this narrative that he's this business genius, which he's not really, Uh, But the persona he has created at least puts him in the ballpark. Uh, I don't think that the current version of Sarah Palin would be able to do that. However, I I, and this is going to be some uh, an opinion. A lot of people are going to go, huh? I truly do believe that if Sarah Palin had remained the person she was in 2008, 
and done what I advised her to do and and gotten reelected as governor of Alaska and come back and you know was really ready to go new you know, all new P's and Q's and w- became a, a foreign policy expert and studied up and all of that I think she would have beaten Hillary Clinton in this particular election year had that narrative had that scenario taken place I do think that Sarah Palin would have ended up winning uh, now that you know people say well wait a minute that's not the same person that exists today that person she became what the media made her the Sarah Palin you see today is not the real Sarah Palin, at least not the one that I knew, not the one that I met, not the one that I advised and defended for a year, year and a half, almost two years. She became what the media made her. All right, now back to Steve Bannon, who clearly is part of the Sarah Palin story in hour number two, coming up next on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 